Welcome to another edition of The Word of God with Father Reed Henserling. We are going to look today at proper eight, proper eight. Now remember, we are in the second half of the church season. The first half, for those of you that have not been with me before, is from Advent through Pentecost. Now Advent usually starts at the end of November or the beginning of December, depending on when Christmas Day is. Advent has four weeks. So we don't begin in the month of January. We begin at the end of November and the beginning of December, or the beginning of December. After Advent comes Christmas, where we celebrate Jesus' birth. After Christmas comes Epiphany, where we celebrate the coming of Jesus and his appearing to people. How is he going to manifest himself? What is he going to do? What is he going to say? After that, we go to Lent. And now, as you, all of you know, I'm sure, Lent is the precursor to his death and resurrection, where we celebrate Holy Week. Jesus dies on Good Friday. He's buried. He's in the grave for Holy Saturday. And he is raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit on Easter Sunday. 40 days later, he ascends into heaven, and 50 days later, the Holy Spirit comes, and we celebrate the day of Pentecost. Now, every Sunday after the day of Pentecost, we title the first Sunday after Pentecost, the second, the third, etc., until we get to the last Sunday after Pentecost, which is typically called Christ the King Sunday. Then we start Advent all over again. Okay, now we are in the season of Pentecost and in proper eight, we are looking at three major sections and we looked at them last week. We are looking at 1 Samuel, the book of Acts and toward the end of Luke. Remember I had spoke about Jesus's giving himself in, turning himself in, Judas betraying him, and he is going to be betrayed, he's going to be arrested, and today we'll see that he's going to be crucified. Now, Samuel, 1 Samuel, is a history book. The first five books of the Old Testament are called the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. <clears throat> The books after that are called the history books, beginning with Joshua. So you have Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, and we are in Samuel. Now I spoke last week about the advent of Samuel and how he was born to Hannah and was an extraordinary child and grew up to be an extraordinary prophet for God. Now, the people wanted a king, and that's where we begin today, with 1 Samuel chapter 10, 1 through 16. Now, the people wanted a king because the other nations had a king. This was not God's will. God's will was that he would be their king, and they would have a theocracy. A theocracy, very unique to say the least. Theos, God in Greek, 
God was going to be their king. But they did not want to do that. God objected to it, but finally relented. And the first king that they had was Saul. Now, Saul was beautiful. He, was, he had many talents. He was tall, dark, and handsome, as it were. So in verse 1, Samuel takes a flask of oil and pours it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over the people of Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. Now, it was the job of Saul, since God has anointed him through the word and the action of Samuel, that God would be with Saul. Now, the key is that Saul would honor the Lord, would obey the Lord and do what the Lord said. Now, if you're not going to have a theocracy, what you have to have is a very good leader who will submit to the Lord. And you'll hear me say this in the study of Samuel and Kings, who will submit to the Lord and do what he says. If the leader, in this case a king, does not submit to the Lord, there will be grave problems. And so, please enjoy reading about 1 Samuel in chapter 10. He's proclaimed the king. Okay? Verse 26 of chapter 10. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each to his own home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. Now, what's interesting about reading the history books, it's, it's very much no different then as it is now. This is why I love reading the history of the Old Testament. It tells us a lot about ourselves. It tells us a lot about the condition and the state we find ourselves in. And when we find ourselves in a similar state to what they were in and how God responds, it helps us to figure out what God is actually saying and doing, and we should make application therein. Now, what you'll find over the next several chapters is Saul's defeating of enemies, of renewing the covenant, and solidifying the people of Israel and the state of Israel, if you will, in terms of the part of Israel that uh, King Saul ruled. In chapter 12, we have a wonderful chapter. It's Samuel's farewell address. Behold, verse 1, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me, and it made him king over you. This is, is, he's speaking to Israel. And now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth unto this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. And so he has this kind of way of describing what his relationship with the Lord is and how he's been faithful to God all these years. The Lord is witness, verse 6, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord and that he performed for you and your fathers. 
So it's a beautiful litany of his ministry, his work as a prophet, as the last judge, extending through the book of Judges, and the people of Israel respond to him in that great 12th chapter. In the 13th chapter, we have a continuation of Paul, of Paul, of Saul winning battles. In chapter 13, he wins battles. But then he gets in a situation where he has an unlawful sacrifice, where Saul waits seven days, the time appointed for Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. This is verse 8 of chapter 13. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offering. As he offered the burnt offering, and he offered the burnt offering, and soon as he had finished the burnt offering, Samuel came. So he waited seven days. Samuel didn't come. He offered it. This was Samuel's job. And Samuel went out to meet him. Samuel, where have you, what have you done? Samuel asked. When I saw that the people were scattering and that you did not come with the days appointed and the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. I went ahead and did it. And Samuel said, and this is important, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. Basically, you're done, Saul. You disobeyed the Lord. You did not do what he said. And I'm going to take the kingdom from you. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over people because you have not kept the Lord, what the Lord commanded you. Now, this was a devastating blow to Saul, to say the least, and that his kingdom would be taken from him because he did not observe the commandments of the Lord. Jonathan defeats the Philistines in chapter 4. This is Jonathan, who is the son of Saul and later becomes a very good friend of David's, a very good friend of David's. And so when you're reading the book of Samuel, you're going to see a very successful person in Saul. But you're also going to find that Saul had some significant problems. They were significant and they led to his downfall. So as you're reading this history, I think you'll be blessed by what you receive in terms of Israel's history. But also, it's going to teach you some truths about your own self and my own self and about us even at this day. So enjoy that. We move on to Acts. Now, the book of Acts is what happens after Jesus is ascended into heaven, chapter 1, and the coming of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. Saul, another Saul, interestingly, Paul, who becomes Paul, is a very dangerous person in chapter 8. We are in chapter 8. But before we get to chapter 8, we have the stoning of Stephen. You remember last time, I told you that we would talk about his death. Chapter 7, verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him, at Stephen. 
When he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of God, Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God. So he's getting ready to die and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. They, crowd, they cried aloud and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. They stoned Stephen. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is where Saul enters the picture in the Bible. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he said this, he fell asleep. So Saul witnessed to the power of Jesus and his resurrection. And the leaders did not want to hear this, and so they stoned him. They laid their cloak at the feet of Saul, who was a very dangerous person, who was going around throwing Christians into prison because he thought and believed that they were blaspheming against God. Now, Saul saw himself as a very righteous Jew and thought he was right in doing this. In Acts chapter 8, we have Philip, now this is an interesting chapter, and Simon the magician, and Philip the Ethiopian eunuch. Fairly long chapter, 41 verses. And so we now look at a different scenario that's going on here. Philip goes to the city of Samaria in chapter eight, verse five, and proclaims to them the Christ. Unclean spirits cried out with loud voices, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, and there was much joy in the city. And then there was a man named Simon who was a magician. And so the story of Simon is there in chapter 8 of Acts. Please enjoy. And then we have the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, where some pretty amazing trans... Um, I, was th I was thinking of... Um, uh, traveling. Philip goes from one place to the other very, very quickly. And he is ministering to this Ethiopian eunuch who's asking about this particular scripture. The eunuch said to Philip, verse 34, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? This is about a lamb led to the slaughter. This is um, Isaiah 53. And they were going down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they were both went into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and the, he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself at Azazus, and he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What I'm saying is all of a sudden Philip was there and then he got transmigrated, I guess that's the word I was looking for, to this other place. So what is the point? God is doing great miracles in these opening chapters of Acts. People are being killed for their faith though and there were some dangerous people like Saul. But God was doing remarkable and miraculous things, events, healings, ministry, through the hands of those who were baptized in the Spirit 
in Acts chapter 2. The ninth chapter is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible because it has to do with the conversion of Saul. Now, I consider Saul to be the most significant person in the history of humanity outside of Jesus. I placed Saul number two. His impact on world history is unparalleled. His 13 letters that he wrote as part of the New Testament are unparalleled. But he's strongly against the Lord, and so he needs to be saved. The way he's saved is amazing. He's knocked down. And the Spirit of God, God speaks to him. Jesus speaks to him, I should say. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. Saul is on the road to Damascus, breathing murder and threats against the disciples of the Lord. He goes to the high priest, this is the beginning of Acts chapter 9, and he asked him for letters of the synagogue at Damascus so he can bind them and take them to Jerusalem. But he's on his way, and a light from heaven shone all about him, and Jesus speaks to him. This is what we call a Damascus Road experience, that your life is dramatically changed forever, and Paul's is. And God speaks to a man named Ananias and tells him to go to a street called Straight and look for a person named Saul who is praying. And Saul sees a vision of a man named Ananias who's going to come and lay hands on him so he might regain his sight because he became blind. And so this begins the journey of Saul who now will be renamed Paul, who is going to have this extraordinary ministry among the Gentiles. He's going to have a ministry among the Jews, but mostly the Gentiles. And Saul is healed. The scales come from his eyes. And most of the rest of the book of Acts, there's a couple places where Peter is identified and uh, highlighted, are, or it's going to be about this man, Saul who is now going to be Paul. So we have two Sauls this week. We have the first king in 1 Samuel, and we have Saul in Acts chapter 7 and 8 and 9. Let's go to the death of Jesus, interestingly. Chapter 22, verse 52. Have you come, Jesus says, out as a robber with swords and clubs. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Now remember throughout this whole episode, which is horrendous, God Almighty is still in charge. He's allowing this to happen by his will. So Peter denies Jesus in the next small pericope. Jesus is mocked, and then he stands before the council. Now, this process happened at night. And so Jesus then appears before Pilate in chapter 23. And then he appears before Herod. So again, you want to read this slowly. You want to read it carefully. 
For those that are very interested in how academically this works together, you may want to get a study notes or synoptic gospel reading that compares and contrasts these readings with Matthew and Mark. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are going to be very similar. John's going to be quite different. But you can compare it to John also if you want to. The end verse is 43, and verses 18 to 43 are about Jesus' crucifixion. So, he goes before Pilate. He goes before Herod. Barabbas becomes the person that is substituted in verse 18. The crowd is against him. Pilate does not want to let him go because he didn't think he did anything wrong. Barabbas is released and Jesus is crucified. He's led outside the city and he dies between two criminals. He famously says in verse 34 of chapter 23, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So right at the beginning, he's offering forgiveness. The soldiers mocked him. They offered him sour wine. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals said, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Verse 41, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Can you believe that one of the persons that died with Jesus as he was being crucified has the enough wherewithal to ask for mercy? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a lie. Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you today, today you will be with me in paradise. So after being brutally beaten and whipped and bled profusely, he's now being crucified and is now going to prepare for his death. And we will pick up his death next week. But enjoy this week, if you can, I say that in tongue in cheek, as we look at the life of Saul in 1 Samuel, the life of Saul in Acts, along with the book of Acts uh, in chapter 8, and the death of Stephen in chapter 7, and then finally, Jesus' willingness to die for us in his last few hours before his death. God bless you in your study, in your reading. Enjoy proper eight readings.